HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni. We have a special March 2018 show. Gosh, we got invited out to the well on Messerol Street in, in Brooklyn uh, to meet Chad, the founder of Crooked Stave, and we, we couldn't pass that up. Our good buddy Alex at Spite and Dive will put together an event. I think it's the first time that there's been a Crooked Stave event in New York City. So we've got all those players in the room. We're going to have a great conversation. So let's first, let's go around the table. Let's introduce everyone. Uh, let's start with Alex. Alex, how did you put together this, this event tonight? You got Crooked Stave uh, founder Chad at Spite and Dival tonight. Yeah, unprecedented. Never been happened before. Pretty thrilled. Um, well, um, I was, uh, well, uh, it should be stated, um, been drinking Crooked Stave beer for a long time and I've always, always been a big Cheers big to big that, fan. Crooked Cheers Stave. But does he get it summarized? Did you just reach out to him and give him a call and said, let's do an event well, in New York? funny story. Um, my reps from 12% Importers, who bring you guys into New York City, um, approached me. Um, I'm relatively new to the GM position at Spyton, and uh, they wanted to say, you know, how would you like to do any events? Is there any... Who, who, in our portfolio, would you like to do an event with? And being a big fan and having a wife from the Denver area and drinking a lot of your beers for a long time, uh, immediately, first name, jumped out, Cricket Stave, never been to New York. And uh, they said, ooh. And I said, well, how do we, how do we get that? I can't that? believe that you guys have never been to New York. Yeah. Well, I think they gave me your wife's number. Does your wife work for the company oh, yeah. too, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yetta is uh, our COO and yeah. owner and my partner and oh. keeps everything going. That's the And I, I can't believe that you've never been to New York before. I mean, five years ago, you were in the New York Times. Daniel Fromson wrote about you. Seems like you've, you've been here, but you haven't. Yeah, it was, uh, there's actually been just one kind of small side trip. There was a Brewers Association event when the uh, Saver event was here. So I was here for that real, real small stint, but we didn't have any... Crooked Stave events, really anything set up during it. And this trip has been a long time in the making, at least three years. That's great. And Ian here from the well. So Ian is kind of a sales call, too, as part of this. Uh, on the way to Despite and Dival, Haley said, oh, let's go to the well and make a sales call to Ian. Um, are they going to present any beers to you? How, how is that going to work? I don't... Uh, is you have to change any kegs or make any I don't know if it's as much posters? sales calls. It is. I, I knew that you were in town and hassled Haley about it. It was like, you have to bring them by the well. And uh, she said, well, the only way we could do it is if we did the podcast here. And I was like, done. Let's do it. So that was me. Just like I just wanted to, you know, hang and have a beer with you, basically. And this wow, is an man. excuse for that. Sorry. Was I not supposed to say that? No, you yes, can say it's that. a sales call. <laughs> Let's talk sales. And we're here at Remember, the well, Messerol Street, 
in Brooklyn. Thanks for hosting Great. us, man. Yeah, pleasure. Absolutely. And Chad, so good. Tell us your backstory. I mean, you know, you can read about it online, but I want to hear it in your own words. You know, absolutely. you're making sour beer from the beginning. Absolutely, making sour beer and, and uh, strong arm and accounts to to get me out to him in New York. Thanks, Allie. Uh, yeah, so for us now, we're seven and a half years old, uh, out of Denver, Colorado, and. The background for Crooked Stave and really the foundation of it goes back to my master's dissertation. So I'm a, a Britannomyces nerd, if you will. I uh, did my master's dissertation studying uh, brewing and distilling. And for me, it was all about studying Britannomyces yeast, learning as much about sour and wild beer. So after finishing that, after writing the dissertation on Britannomyces, it was this idea of what is a Britannomyces beer and, and where are these at? And that led to the creation of of Crooked Stave. And there's so much kind of at the time that played into that. And fast forward to now, we're seven and a half years old. And not only are we doing different Britannomyces beers, different sours, long age sours, fruited sours, uh, but even some IPA and, and some Pilsner. So the running the full gamut, which isn't the foundation from which we started on, that was Britannomyces wild and sour beers. What were some of the first beers that you made? The very first beers that we made, I had to ask myself, what is a Britannomyces beer? Again, it's a very different time in beer now than it was seven, eight years ago. There was a handful, you probably count them on, on your two hands, of how many brewers actually had made a sour beer, and these were one-off beers. I'd done this research on Britannomyces, but I really had to ask myself, what is a Britannomyces beer? If I say a Pilsner, Stout, you know, Bach, you, you name it, these styles, we have a preconceived notion of what they are. Britannomyces, is that, is that sour? Is that, what is that? What, what is a Britannomyces beer? You know, what does that entail? So I drew inspiration from the color wheel. So red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, and created the Roy G. Biv series. And that was what kicked Crooked Stave off. I needed something to draw inspiration. So I uh, was drawing inspiration from the colors and then using different strains of Britannomyces to do primary fermentation with Brett, uh, sometimes in fooder, sometimes in barrels, and trying to figure out, yeah, what, what was Brett? Was this something people wanted to continue to drink? Was there any real market industry for it? It's one thing to make a one-off and to sell it. We've known that for many years, but can you continuously repeat these beers? And, and for us, the answer was yeah. Uh, even in front of us, what sit here today, you know, we've got Hop Savant. We were at the forma, forefront of making Britannomyces IPAs. The very first one ever made was Wild Wild Brett Green. So from that series, we kept some different beers. Wild Wild Brett Orange became St. Bretta. So different beers that evolved from that, those very, very first series of beers. And then it led to the culmination of Wild Wild Brett Violet, which was a massive day for us, selling uh, about 100 cases in two hours. And it was, it was pretty cool wow. back in the day. We're drinking one now. Ian just poured one. Uh, what are we drinking, Ian? Why don't you tell us what we're drinking? We're drinking Labretta Cherry. So Labretta Cherry, this was packaged September of 2015. And I believe we released it in January of 2016, if I recall. And given, given the beer's time to age, the biggest thing about this is Colorado whole fruit. So all of the long barrel-aged sour beers that we do that we use fruit with all use whole fruit. So these cherries, it's really fun. We've got our, our farmer up on the western slope, and he is literally with me every day calling me, telling me where the cherries are at. In their, in their acidity versus their sugar content. And when it's just right, he's like, let's pick. And so they start picking overnight. They actually shake the cheese for tart cherries. And they come off the tree. We're up there at 7 a.m., 6 a.m. in the morning, pulling cherries out of uh, water bins, actually. They float them is what they do to get all the leaves, everything out, and driving back the same day, basically, that they've been harvested and then adding it to the beer. And so Labretta Cherry is our golden sour base uh, with those cherries. This is... It's kind of cool now, actually. This is one of the batches where this isn't spontaneous. So this would have been our, our golden sour. So it would have been similar to what we make now, which uh, we call our cool ship as far as the recipe. But now everything going forward for this is all spontaneous. So it's neat to see the evolution and, and where this was almost three years ago. Wow. Uh, tell us more about the first time um, that you, you really got turned on to Crooked Stave. And I know you really appreciate them, Alex. Um, this beer is great, man. I love Crooked Stave. Oh, man, it's, for me, it's all about those batch number beers. Um, I think the one that really like solidified it for me was like I think it was like batch 
20 or 40 or something like that. I mean, you're up to, we're actually going to be pouring batch 200 awesome. um, at Spiton tonight, which is the that's a treat. dry hop, oak-aged, whole fruit raspberry. raspberry. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bang. And I, I tapped all the beers earlier today. I got to taste it. It was really good. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I think it was. I bet it was batch 50. Batch 50 yeah, was sort of like a St. Breda base that aged for 22 months um, with peaches. We don't normally, it was about 14 months on the peaches. We don't normally age stuff that long with fruit. It's usually around eight weeks. So it was a really cool blend of these really, really old barrels. And that yeah. probably would have been batch 50. It was probably yeah. I think I may have a bottle of it at home, actually. Orange, orange wax on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That it's it's super, evolved, super crazy evolved, I tell you. You guys are wild, man. You're like saying these, you know, ingredients, and you're both, all three of you are nodding and 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 smiling. <laughs> uh, what else are you going to have? So the whole event tonight. Let's talk about the event at at Spiten. What other beers you have on tap? You have six lines of. We have six lines. Um, let's see. We've been holding on to stuff for a while too, so um, some of it is a little bit older um, than some of the newer stuff that's been coming in. Um, we have. Uh, origins um, from 2000 and could be 15, could be 16. I think it might be 16, um, which is the Burgundy one, right? Yep, Burgundy sour aged in red wine barrels. Yep. Um, we have the Surrette Reserva Palisade Peach. Awesome. We'll have uh, Batch 400, like I mentioned, the raspberry one. We will have, um, oh, uh, Petite Sour Reserva Marionberry. Um, Surrette, straight Rosette, Surrette rather, the provisional. And uh, and then because we always need more lager in our life, we're going to have a keg of uh, Von Pilsner because it's awesome. <laughs> wow. Every Crooked Stave event should have Von Pilsner on. Yeah. And, and of course, you guys have all the most obscure ones. To me, it's like I've, for years, I was getting Surrette, the Colorado Wild Sage, and Hops, Hops Savant. What do you have, Ian? You have a whole, uh, at the well, you have a whole shelf. A rarely you actually have a whole shelf of one brewery we, here yeah. at the well. Yeah, we don't we don't have a full shelf uh, of many of our breweries that we carry, but uh, Crooked Save has a full shelf devoted to it. Uh, I don't have my list with me. I should have brought that in, but I think we have nine or ten bottles from you right now. Um, we just actually killed our cans of, uh, of Von Pilsner. Um, Haley, we're going to need more of those. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should taste it. Maybe we should. Uh, yeah, let's, let's taste the it. Pilsner. I wanted to get it. First, we got a little introduction. You know, got, got a chance for Chad to talk and, and Alex and, and Ian. Um, let's go, go back, Chad. I mean, you studied at a, a brewing distilling institute. Where was that? So where I studied was Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh, Scotland. So it's neat. This university... Uh, is where the International Center for Brewing and Distilling is. And it's, yeah, a, a great institute. It was great to be able to go over to Scotland and be able to study uh, under a lot of professors who had a lot of years in malting science, brewing science, distilling, you name it. So it was a lot of, a lot of heritage, a lot of history in the UK, as we all know, for brewing. And great chance to be able to really learn sound scientific brewing techniques. Cheers. That's the uh, Vaughn Pilsner. Cheers. That's Vaughn. amazing. So you're a, ma a master of, uh, of Brett. <laughs> Masters and, Brett. And what was it about Brett for you? I mean, I'm, let's, we want to go fairly deep in the show about sour beers. I mean, Love it. I feel like that the other day I was with uh, a brewer, Eric Wallace from Left Hand. He's like, listen, if you want to make sour, you can just put a, a lactose powder in, like a Yoplait. You can do it fast, but that's not what you're doing. No way Eric would say that. He said it as a, he was kind of making fun of people, but um, yeah. So so let's go through sour. You're studying Brett and these guys too. I mean, I I love sour beer, but I feel like now people ex expect a higher quality and and people know more about it, even if they can't describe it, you know, than they used to. That, that's phenomenal. It's really been I consider it my life's work to grow wild and sour beers and and where they're at. Uh, myself, you know, my first sour beer was lawfully from New Belgium. Uh, going to school in Fort Collins, I mean, that was amazing. Uh, I love to tell the story that we were 19, 20 years old, drinking corked and cage bottles of, of La Folie. Uh, it's a great way to get into it. And then trying to research, you know, what these were. I actually, before the brewing and distilling, my background was uh, really as more as a winemaker. So I first studied viticulture and enology. So I knew about barrel-aged wines, the organisms in wine, 
I was really interested what it was that made sour beer because it's, it's obviously not just traditional brewer's yeast. And so that was what led to the research and wanting to study the Britannomyces. At the time in the industry as well, you know, like I was saying, you could kind of count on one hand how many brewers there were who used Britannomyces or made wild and sour beers. And when opening Crooked Stave, uh, the end of 2010, beginning of 2011, there was only one other brewery in the U.S. focused on wood-aged beers, and that was Jolly Pumpkin. It's crazy to think now that there are over 5,000 breweries making wild and sour beer. But if you go back to 2010, there was really one who was making all wood-aged and sour beers. And so when I started Crooked Stave, ourselves, and I always love to give the, the shout out to Anchorage Brewing Company, so Gabe up in Anchorage, we were two and three simultaneously at the same time who were making fooder, wood-aged, wild, sour beer. Um, that's how far this industry has gone in, you know, in, in a short seven years. And for me, our, the company is really founded on quality and education. So we use the beers that we make to make the highest quality beer. It's been that way from day one, and, and we, can, we continue it. If a beer is not going to be quality, we won't make it. It's important to dump beer down the drain if it's, if it's not good, if it's not quality. If you're not, if you're not dumping beer down the drain, then you're not experimenting. You're not trying new things. So it's important to make that quality move and do that. And use those quality beers, from my standpoint, for education. So I try to speak at seminars, conferences, CBC, brew associations, MBA, SBC, anything I can. Because honestly, I love sour beer. And I've loved it from day one as a drinker. And I want to drink more of it. And I feel that it's pretty cool today, going around to different accounts and, and getting to try some of these sours that I've never tried before. And to see the level of where they are, if you go back five years ago, I mean, it was nowhere near that. And to have 5,000 breweries now pretty much doing that, I mean, it, it's a little hard on us. You know, it's kind of where we made our specialty, and I, I hang my hat on the Britannomyces. Now I have 5,000 competitors, but that was they're the goal. The same, though. They're definitely not all the same. It's funny. It is, that is amazing it's, to think that like, now you, you can't be thought of as a, as a uh, you know, you can't be taken seriously as a brewer if you don't brew a good sour. You know what I mean? And if you have the gumption to go for wood, that's the next step, you know? I mean, I mean, we could talk about kettle souring and that kind of thing, too. You know, there's, like, quick and easy. Yes, the lactose powder, that kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, but doing it, the long, yes. you're doing, you're playing the long game. How do you describe Absolutely. to your customers? I mean, you know, you, you've got things like Crooked Stave. You, you get, sometimes you get in Cantillon at, at Spite and Dival. How do you explain the, the quality difference, not just style difference, but quality difference? To your customer, usually when I go to Spite and Dival or the Well, I can assume that if it's on tap, that the the buyer you know did that pre-selection for me. But what if I'm somewhere else and I don't really know? I, I just want a sour. Ugh. I mean, uh, it's hard. It's it's it's, it's hard. very complicated because in the, like like Chad said, there's a there's a lot of options out there now, and you know, I mean, I, I think if you're gonna do, I mean, Brett, I mean, what? Where did you? Where's your Brett from? You know, what did, what did you? How long did you age this beer? How long did the, you know, um, how how close to where you're drinking it is it from? You know, that's a that's a big one too. You know, you can some of the local stuff upstate, for example, is is delicious, but it's also like fresh. You know, you can you can taste the how young it is compared to some of these like long long game barrel aged things. Long aged. You know? Yeah, those those are the questions. Like what you're getting at is exactly it. You know, it's education first, right? And trying to get that. And that's hard. So as, as a drinker and trying to educate it. So the more educated you might be as, as a bar owner, as a buyer, um, but even as a drinker. So asking the questions about, you know, time, age, organisms, kind of process and stuff. There are, there are many ways to make different beers. There's times when uh, kettle sours, you know, for gozas or for Berliner Weisses, make the beer you want because the acidity doesn't keep going. You can kind of lock it in in that time. For us, we're really big on evolution, evolution of the beer, the organisms. So you start asking about that, like, was this aged in oak? You know, how long was this fermented for? Time is not necessarily a indication, an indicator of quality. You can make really amazing wild and sour beer, complex beer, most important. You know, in a three-month period, a four-month period, depending on your practices, your aging stuff. So that, but getting the consumers to ask those questions, that's kind of where that level of education goes. And 
you know, not, not every consumer is going to. Hence why we, I mean, we open this Pilsner. Beer is wonderful. We're all here because of beer. It doesn't have to be this mega, ultra, weird, crazy, blended thing. Uh, we love to say, hey, it's just beer. And, you know, we'll, we'll take our stance on sour beer being that way and, and Pilsner beer being that way too. Yeah, I always, I always try to give people new words. Uh, when I'm behind the bar and people ask, you know, generally people who are, who are new to beer or new specifically to sours will ask, how sour is this beer? And it's always fun to kind of throw other words at them so they know that there are other descriptors for sour. Are you looking for something fruity, a fruity sour? Are you looking for something kind of more rich and balsamic or complex and funky? Or are you looking for something just light and refreshing? And people will grab one of those things. You know, I'm, I'm in the mood for something like complex and weird. Like, awesome, cool. Let's get to sketch you something complex and weird. Or I'm just looking to be like, ref, you know, ref, I want basically like light acidity and, and just kind of something fizzy and refreshing. Cool. And before they, they asked those questions, they, or before I asked them those questions, they, didn't even, they weren't even aware of what they wanted. They didn't even know that you could ask those questions at a beer bar. So, and then people come back and go, you know, I'm looking for something, that, they're more specific. I'm looking for something like light and refreshing and fizzy or something, something that's been in a barrel for a year and a half. And they start to understand why maybe prices are different and, and what makes uh, a, a really, really good barrel-aged beer a really good barrel-aged beer because it sat there longer and it took time to make and it was made with heart versus why sometimes kettle sours also have a great place in the market where it's like, no, this is just meant to be like, it's not something you sit and you sip. It's something that you, you know, it's a light, refreshing beverage. So yeah, equipping people with like different terms so that they can figure that out on their own later on is also pretty fun. I like to, I like to talk about the complexity. I think that's really where you hit on it. You know, oh, a couple years ago, we really had this, uh, this IBU or this arms race, if you will. And it was who could put the most IBUs in a beer. I don't think the breweries actually really wanted to make the most bitter beer because that's what IBUs essentially equate to as a bitterness level. But it was this fun in this game. And I've always been sensitive to that in sour beers and really wanting to make the most complex beer. So I think it's important to, instead of like, well, because you'll, for sure, you'll have people ask, like, what's the most sour beer you have? And the easy answer to that is Nightmare on Brett, far and away. I'm just kidding. Um, but it is a delicious <laughs> beer from Group Safe. But, but it's with not. Cherries. With cherries, absolutely. <laughs> but the raspberry, it's really jammy. Um, but the answer is not, not what's the most sour. It's what's the most complex, right? And then going in those directions. So tart and refreshing. It's one of the most amazing things about sour beer is, it takes refreshing to, to a whole new level. And then like, oh, are you looking for whole fruit? Or are you looking for lightly sour? Or do you want, you know, the, the higher acidity, the longer barrel aged? Are you looking for something that's, it's, it's beautiful, the ranges that you do. Sour beer, and I actually, I won't get on my soapbox yet, but sour beer and really- This is your soapbox. Wild beer, <laughs> sweet 45 minutes of Chad's soapbox. <laughs> That's just about enough time. Um, there's probably only 30 minutes left now. Wild, wild beer. I love to refer to wild beer because I think that's a big one too is because sometimes people come in and they're like, oh, what sour beer do you have? And we used to see this a ton. You want to talk about education stuff and, and things in the beginning. A hop savant, it's a Botanomyces IPA that we make. It is a Botanomyces IPA. It's, there's nothing about it. In fact, the description even on the back here says, do not expect a sour beer. But yet people would walk into the bar and would ask for a sour beer and they would get hops of on. And I would always say, you know who looks like an idiot? Uh, none of the listeners can see this, but I'm pointing at myself right now. Me. I look like an idiot. But I didn't sell this as a sour beer. I sold this as a Britannomyces IPA. That education to come that far between the differences. So I, I talk about wild a lot. And when you talk about wild, it becomes a third category. You've got, in the most basic of senses, you've got ale, lager, and wild. And the reason why I particularly like wild is because actually, in a way, these beers from Crooked Stave, they're not wild anymore. I mean, these are my Britannomyces yeasts that I've cultured. I culture them, I grow them up. A wild organism is something that's not at the, the hand of a brewer. So it's an infection, if you will. You know, it, it's not supposed to be there, but it shows up. That's a wild organism. In a 100% Brett beer, if you had some of your, you know, house Saccharomyces, that would actually house Saccharomyces would be wild because it wasn't supposed to be in there. But it's about the historic term. So Britannomyces being a wild yeast and the bacteria and everything. It's the same with ale. I mean, ale in its sense actually was 
uh, ales were unhopped beers. You had beer, which had hops, and you had ale. Ales were more like Gruets, if you go back to the 1200s and earlier. But ale morphed into modern-day history, modern-day era, where ale means warmer, top-fermenting ale yeast. And lager, lager, it means to hold. Lager means like keller. Keller's the cellar. You would lager in the keller. The term lager means to hold in German. But this term came to mean a colder fermenting, bottom fermenting yeast. So both ale and lager themselves don't have the original historic sense of what they meant. They've, they've morphed. They've grown into where they are now. So wild, I, I think of as a beautiful thing. It's really this third category of beer that uses Britannomyces or bacteria or different stuff. So you talk about wild. And then you can really, as you said, you can dig into those, oh, are you looking for something tart? Are you looking for a barrel-aged Saison with some Britannomyces? I mean, the, the gamut that you can run, there's about as much, if not more, that you can do with wild, sour beer that you could do with ales. You know, are you talking about a stout, a certain type of I, I get you on that. I, I feel like the first time we really got to talk a little deeper about, you know, what are these different categories. Even last year, I remember when I had, this next beer we on is what? The... Hop Savant, this Crooked is Stave. I had it on, on draft last summer, and I, I, I listed it as a wild or funky um, category, and, and that sold it. And the, you're right, it wasn't the people weren't expecting a sour, but um, it, it was hard to place it. But because it's Crooked Stave, I felt like I had to put it as, as a wild or some other description. I don't know how, how you guys do it if, if, you have a, if you put a category for something like Crooked Stave. Oh, man, I mean, Brett beers are, they're their own beast for sure. I mean, we could say, you can, you can call this an IPA. It does not drink like an IPA, you know, and especially these days that, you know, IPAs are huge and people are looking for something really specific, I think, um, between, you know, the double dry hopping and the um, lactose IPAs and the sour IPAs. And, yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. Um, so this has, doesn't have the characteristics that a lot of people look for in an IPA. But it is an IPA. It's just a bread IPA. And you can tell the difference right away. I mean, it smells different. It tastes different. It looks different. So maybe just for marketing, anything crooked stave, we just say it's wild so that it will sell. I mean, you have a, I have to say, honestly, if you have a Pilsner, too, that Pilsner, I'm like, well, it's a crooked stave Pilsner. Pilsner. <laughs> can you make a wild Pilsner? Yeah. I mean, so I'm like, well, people that are interested in, in they heard about sour or wild, then I'll sell them a Pilsner from Crooked Stave. I mean, this is kind of like, you know, that's our side is how do we sell beer to people? Well, I was just going to say back to the, the wild IPA conversation. I think, uh, I mean, it says it on the can, right? It says wild IPA. I think that's a pretty good descriptor for what this is. And that's what we would probably put it on the menu as a wild IPA. But I think the cool thing about it is it would, it would probably be in like the sour slash wild section, um, which you have to have because it wouldn't necessarily fit in the IPA section. However, when somebody that's into IPAs sees this on the menu, they're probably gonna go, what's that all about? And then they're gonna drink it and love it. So it's not like it doesn't, you know, it won't, it won't please the people that are looking for something that's hot forward. There's just like an added level of complexity to it. Right. And suddenly that person has been turned on to wild beer. And then all of a sudden after that, they're gonna, they're gonna be looking at that section of the menu right. a little more often. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hey, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is Katie, HRN Executive Director, and I'm so excited to share with you our coverage from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We are here live today at Charleston Wine and Food. Join us as we talk all things food, Come to Charleston, eat some seafood. Eat all of the seafood. Chicken fried chicken with chorizo steak and salsa verde mashed potatoes. So quintessentially like Southern fare at its finest. And have important conversations. And we're also talking about professional women in restaurants and how underrepresented they are. People of color in restaurants and how they're not talked about. We get real with Food Network's Manit Chohan. Balance is BS. Uh, I, I, I was, yeah, I was told that uh, I wasn't going to be bleeped out. And find out about raising sugarcane with Chef Sean Brock. It's like being Indiana Jones or something. You never know what you're going to find. You'll come away inspired by the power of food and the food scene in Charleston. 
Here's Dr. Jessica B. Harris. Food is constantly in flux. Food is always moving. Food is the only real lingua franca that we have that allows us to connect with other folks. So tune in to Heritage Radio Network on tour at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't go wrong. Now I'm going to jump to something else. So Brett, you're like the master of Brett. Let's go deep in Brett and, t- and tell us about this because we're just learning. We're trying to define a new category of, of what the beer is wild. You know, there's, you're just talking about kettle sours and, and chemicals like lactose. What is Brett? What did you get out of studying it? And you're saying that yours, you have control cultures now, so it's, it's not even wild anymore. Let's go deep on Brett. Yeah, so I mean, from the most basic terms, one of the things I always like to clarify is that Britannomyces is a yeast strain. So what often gets kind of referred to as brewer's yeast, brewer's yeast is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. And the yeast that we're using is Britannomyces bruxellensis. Uh, and we have two specific strains that we use that we really like, but at the most basic form, it's a yeast. So what we're doing is we're using a, what I consider a novel yeast. Uh, that's what I consider Britannomyces. The flavors we're able to create with Britannomyces are, are unique. They're that much different. Again, everything to me is about complexity. I think that's probably my, my winemaker background that comes into that is about the most complex that we can make. But yet it's fun because you mentioned wine and then you mentioned Britannomyces and now, you, I mean, you've got everyone like, what, what, what? Like, no, wine can't have Brett in it, right? So it's, it's funny to have that background to it. Yeah, because it's, it's interesting that you, you picked up the thing from your winemaking education, the thing that is not most, supposed to be there. Yeah, the most um, undesirable <laughs> thing about wine. Disagree. It, it's a flaw, yeah. It's, so. a, it's amazing in wine. I love Britannomyces wines. I bet you've had a lot. You just don't realize it. Yeah. You ever drink like orange wine and stuff like that? Champagne. Champagne's Champagne's got tons of Brett in it. Yeah. Uh, I love stuff from Beaujolais. There's a lot of natural winemakers. I mean, it's great. They're just starting to accept it. More and more younger winemakers are starting to accept the fact that like Brett's real. I mean, Scott Labs even makes a product now, um, which attaches to the Brett cells and helps drop it out in barrels and stuff. So people are like finally starting to be honest with themselves. Bordeaux. I mean, great Bordeaux wine. It's all dusty, dry. It's Britannomyces. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Britannomyces is all over, and that's great. It's a wonderful, lovely, complex yeast. And, yeah, I mean, because of that, it's a great starting point. So we're really using a a different yeast to produce alcohol, produce CO2, and produce flavors. And that is the basis for driving Britannomyces. Britannomyces, when you have a sour beer, it's the aroma and the flavor. And, and I think that's a really important distinction. You know, I kind of wax and wane about Britannomyces does not make sour beer. Britannomyces is the aroma and the flavor. It takes then lactobacillus or pediococcus, we're getting all scientific now, to create the acidity. So that tar lactic characteristic. So what uh, Eric Wallace was referring to about like kind of the yogurt-esque characteristics, these bacteria are what you use to make yogurt. And so you think about that little bit of tartness um, that yogurt has in it, that acidity and sourness. So Britannomyces just on its own won't make sour beer, but beautiful, complex. For Crooked Stave, I've really selected the strains that we use. I love uh, citrus, tropical fruit type aromas. So my ideal Crooked Stave beer is going to have some pineapple, ripe mango, uh, lemon lime, and stone fruit. You get a sometimes a peachy, uh, sort of peach apricot characteristic. Those are really the characteristics that I love, and I drive a lot of our beers in that direction from the Britannomyces yeast strains. So just going back to the Von Pilsner, because that, that's a new beer to me. So that's made with the Brett yeast also? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, Von Pilsner is an awesome, amazing Czech-style Pilsner. Eh, I say Czech-style, but then we make it with a yeast strain that's actually from Germany. So... It, but the, the, the life behind that beer is to make a sort of medium bodied, it's got a little bit of lusciousness to it, Pilsner. Uh, it's really, it's fun. It's like, you know, if you're a sour brewer, what do you make? A, a damn good Pilsner. So we, I could go on and on. And actually, it's a segue even into sour beers. So one of the things that makes wild sour beers goes back to it. The quality level that it is, is attention to detail. Um, I have a condition, it's called CDO, um, which is 
OCD spelled alphabetically as it should be. <laughs> and that really drives our brewery. That's you personally and not your Brett yeast strain. Oh, well, they perform to the CDO standards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, and, and our brewery, uh, attention to detail every step of the way, uh, never compromising. It's part of our values at the company. And we produce Pilsner actually the same way, with the same attention to detail that we do the sour beers. And that's what makes us really be able to hang our hat even on this Pilsner. So we send our water off every single month, if not every single two weeks, saying it off. We have Pilsner water pretty much in Colorado. It's extremely soft water, but that's not what makes great, great Pilsner. So you, you add salts, you make the best beer that you possibly can. We have about 100 data points that we take from brew day to package on the beer all the way through. DO levels, everything. Uh, lab is pulling samples every single day, taking yeast cell counts, taking gravities, taking oxygen, y you name it. And I don't brew anything that I don't just overly justify how and why we make it. This is meant to taste like Pilsner pouring from the wooden vats, literally. Wait, you're the Pilsner. wrong guy. I thought you were the brewer from Colorado making beer in the old farmhouse with cobwebs in, in the corners. No cobwebs. We, even in our spontaneous cellar, I love to walk people through our, our spontaneous cellar. We've got all 500 liter punch-ins and fooders. And I say, yeah, this is our version of, you know, a, a mini Cantillon or Fontaine. And, and everyone asks, well, where's the cobwebs? No, 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 no. We keep everything clean all the time. Uh, that we, that we do. We don't, we don't need the spiders and stuff. We've got the organisms in the wood and in different places up in the so really, this yeah. is what this is like. A, your study of, of yeasts and kind of winemaking led you to your style of beer. It wasn't like you just dreamed of being Cantillon or something like that. No, I mean you have to. I would be remiss if I didn't say that. You know, Cantillon is definitely a, a large influence, and even you know a close friend. It's amazing to be able to reach out to Jean Vinois, to be able to visit him, to be able to see him, and to be able to ask him open and honest questions and what an amazing person he is. So for sure, Cantillon and others really opened my eyes to what I see as, as beer and what we do. But it's important to have uh, honesty and integrity and to be able to, to do your own thing. So it's great to draw inspiration um, from others and then to try to put kind of our crooked stave um, stance on it. For me, that's really driving science and art. I can't... You know, we've always said, like, art on the bottle, art in the bottle. Uh, now it's art on the can. Uh, but I, I, myself, I'm not an artist in the traditional sense of putting pen to paper and working that way. It's the beer that's in the bottle that is my form of art. But that's me then mixing that with the scientific background. It all goes back to that master's dissertation, uh, or what I like to call a fancy piece of paper. And, and I really wanted this fancy piece of paper, uh, but especially in brewing science. So... I like to know as much as I can about these beers. We're doing things that have never been done before, and now we're also the leading researcher on these beers as well. And it's come from all the years of, as we did stuff, asking, you, you, you reach out to your friends in the industry and you ask about it, and I would get this answer, which I didn't really like, um, but it was flattering, and I'd be like, well, Chad, I don't, I don't know, because you're the only person doing this, so maybe you should answer that yourself. God damn it. Uh, but it's true. You so now, now we do in, in, in the lab and everything we take. So we want to know as much about what we do. So it's science and art. I just have one question about the Pilsner, um, which is probably not what you want to be asked about right now. But I love our Pilsner. Absolutely. I love your Pilsner All too. Long. What I want to know is what was the feedback like when you put that out? Um, were people surprised? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to the extent of one of the people that I look up to a lot is uh, Vinny Chilarusso from Russian River. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's great. I would consider him, you know, one of the people that, you know, helped me in the beginning with beers, with answering questions, with all sorts of stuff. He was great back when I was just a lowly little student uh, studying Britannomyces. And he was so open. And he continues to be that way. And uh, when I'd seen him this past summer, we had the beer, the Pilsner at Firestone Walker. You want to talk about a great place to have a good Pilsner? Out at Firestone Walker's Invitational. Their Piva Pils is phenomenal. And we literally had You know when I walked in at the well here, it's the beer that Ian gave me. I was drinking a Firestone Pilsner before I, just the minute before I drank your Crooked Stave on Pilsner. The Piva? The Piva? Yeah. Hell yeah, it was. Crooked Shout Stave. Shout out. The Pilsners. It's fresh. It's awesome. 
and it absolutely killed it at that festival. And that's awesome. That, there's this festival for 5,000 people, and there were people just going around trying Pilsners, and the line we had, we had this, even when, so we brought the most of Pilsner, 50 liters of it. We had this massive line, and people would be coming up, and we'd be like, oh, you know, like, all we have left is the Pilsner. And they'd be like, that's what I'm waiting in line for. <laughs> and, and so Vinny was there, Vinny and Natalie, and Vinny's like, you're making a Pilsner now? And he's like, I loved you before, but I got even more respect now. <laughs> and that's, that's the way it is. Pilsners are a phenomenal beer. I, I can geek out on our Pilsner as much as I can geek out on Britannomyces and Sour Beer. It is, it is the most drinking beer at Crooked Stave, far and away, by our employees. And even in draft, uh, until just recently, our, our Sour Rosé has kind of caught up to Pilsner. So neck and neck. But you, I might say, like, in Colorado, 80% of our draft is Pilsner and Sour Rosé, which is awesome to have this Sour Rosé beer and Pilsner neck and neck selling draft. The reception on it's been amazing. Uh, I, I, I personally love it. It's great. But to see the acceptance, it takes a minute. People definitely like, Pilsner? From Google Save, they look at you funny. But then when they have it, I've got buyers all the time who are like, I drank a third of that keg. I loved it. <laughs> and I'm like, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Pilsners are back in a big way. I mean, that's like the new, the new thing right now. Is that if you can't make a good lager, you know, then you, know, you have no clout kind of thing. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Because it's like, yeah, fact. Because the, 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 the beers that are the easiest to drink and the most delicious and the most crushable are actually the hardest to make. They take a long time. They have to lager them. It's real estate. You were talking about wood and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Real estate. People wonder why some of these beers are so expensive. Well, think about real estate, you know? I mean, that beer's been sitting there for years and years and years, but, you know, not just the sour stuff. A lager, that, that Pilsner was in that barrel for a long time, you know? And, and it still has got some time to go, you know? Like, you know. So. You know, this is great. I, I really came in thinking we're going to go deep and talk about Cantillon and these... <laughs> These farmhouse breweries. I didn't really know anything about you. And honestly, I have to say that I, I missed the beat. I didn't even know about the, the Von Pilsner. So this is really going in great directions. Learn about you more as an amazing brewer. Uh, maybe people will talk about Canyon when they make a Pilsner. Until then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know Jean, man. You should just get him on the horn and say, you know. Let's just recap. So all the beers we tried today. Too. Ian, you poured, uh, let's start with, just go through the four beers we had. Uh, we got... Labrette to cherry, same, no. Yeah, Labrette to cherry. Labrette to cherry. Yep. Then what? Von Pilsner. The, the hop savant. Yep. And now the wild, Colorado, Colorado, Colorado wild, wild sage. sage. Let's talk about that because that's a beer that that I've had, you've made almost since the beginning, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, about halfway through. Uh, you know, to get into saisons and to to jump on that kind of that train and everything, this is a perfect segue into it. So I love to wax and wane about Cezanne, and I consider Cezanne, Cezanne is not a, a style of beer. Cezanne is a philosophy of beer. It's a way of life, really. And so if you look at where Cezanne, you know, Cezanne's coming from typically, you know, Wallonia, so the, the French-speaking part of Belgium, and they, they transcend, they cross the borders. Cezanne is a philosophy. Everybody say that. Cezanne is a philosophy. Is a philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> So brewers, brewers were brewing Cezanne. Oh, no, let me correct myself. There were no brewers brewing Cezanne originally. This was farmers brewing Cezanne. French, they weren't, for, French for season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Les Saisonnaires, which was the seasonal workers, they brewed the beers to be refreshing. Um, you know, these are the sayings. There was also, I mean, it was basically, it was the beer that was being brewed. And again, these were farmers. So they were brewing the beer in the off season. You think about winter when it's getting colder. They were brewing with the ingredients that they had as well. It wasn't like this was, you know, these these set recipes and this commercial brewery making these things. You had, you know, like you have the village, uh, the they're called the cave winemakers in throughout France. You know, it was like the village brewer or the farmer, the the brewers who were brewing this in these off seasons. And so saison was a sense of place. It's a beer that's made where it was being made with the ingredients that were available and grown in the area. So whether it was hops, malt, you know, water, all of that. So when I look at Crooked Stave and the Saisons that we make, and I really said to myself, like, we should make a, a Saison that's from Colorado and embodies the spirit of Colorado. So Colorado Wild Sage, 
for anyone kind of who's been west, uh, Colorado is really a, a high alpine desert. We have sagebrush everywhere. And when it rains, we have really crisp, fresh air in Colorado. It's high altitude. And when it rains and then you have that sagebrush rain, the aroma of rain is, is gorgeous. It's rice and crisp. And the sagebrush has this like lemon sort of citronella type characteristics, really just crisp air. And so for Colorado wild sage, we use Colorado malted barley, Colorado hops, uh, sage and lemongrass from Colorado. So it's an all Colorado ingredient beer and it's meant to smell and taste kind of like the aroma, like camping without the campfire, no smoked malt in it. Uh, but so, yeah, so we use white sage and, and lemongrass really to get those characteristics. So we want when you drink this beer, like it to smell, to taste like Colorado. This is like putting Colorado in a can. And that was really the goal, goal behind it. And that's how we were making, you know, a Saison that we think is where we come from, our home. Uh, so Colorado wild sage. It's fun. It's got the wild in there, which it's Brett Saison. And why the switch to cans? I mean... My experience with you was it was like you're rare. It was bottles only. Then we got draft, and we were psyched to have that. And now, fast forward, there's cans. Um, you're just the response to cans has been amazing. Can't even uh, put words on. <laughs> can't. We're in Colorado, which is a huge can state, huge outdoor state. I, you know, I think you could say the same thing though. Really, about many places, it is. For some reason, you gravitate towards a can. I drink more Crooked Stave now that it's in a can. It's this idea that when it was in the bottle, I, you know, it sat there. It's the same exact beer we've always been brewing. And now that it's in a can, I, I love the price point and getting it to a better price point where it is. We want beer to be approachable and applicable and people to be able to drink and taste it. Some of that a can, you're just, you're more willing to open them. I, as, as a brewer, and I love 750 mil cork and cage. I love the presentation. I drink more cans. I, it's psychological, I guess. And, you know, growing with the industry and, and moving into it, cans are where it's at. It is a, a beautiful thing to be able to put beer into. And we don't make beer for it to be rare. Don't get me wrong. If you want to come line up outside of the brewery, we'll happily sell you rare beer and stuff to go. <laughs> but, you know, beer to enjoy, people enjoy beer in a can. They, you A bottle... I, I am one of those idiots. I will definitely go hike a mountain and take a big bottle with me. Uh, I guess I like suffering, you know, in the river. <laughs> we would drink bottles and stuff. But cans go everywhere and anywhere. Yeah, it's I, the truth. And you can do this. Yeah. Crunching. Jimmy Great. did that right in Chad's face, Step for the record. <laughs> if only you could have seen it. We're going to wrap up soon, so let's go, Ian. Yeah, I just in, in response to the can question. I mean, I think cans cans are I think generally seen. I mean, I love cans as a vessel. They're they're great because they're seen as like a single serving. You crack a can, it's casual. Whereas I think bottles are seen as more of like an occasion, and like you're, you may be splitting it with a couple different people because it's a very nice, expensive bottle. Whereas a can, it's like it's mine. That's my can. You can get your own can. It just feels like less less of a you know a thing to crack a can. Here you go. I got six yeah. of them. Yeah, here's and the, the other one. <laughs> and the yeah. rareness, too, when I feel like it's biting down where we're going next, to me, I, I always feel like I do go there for the rare beers. And you have quite a lineup tonight. We do. And we do have some rare Cricket Stave beers they threw on that menu, too. We have some, uh, we have some Nightmare and Brett with Cherry. And we, yeah. <laughs> we have uh, yeah, some, some good stuff going on them. Um, yeah, for sure. But uh, the, the, just excited to have, uh, have you here. Stoked. Thanks for coming out, for sure. Um, we're going to... Gonna last up. question. We're I know gonna, you, we're you, get some beer tonight. Man. You're the impetus for for bringing uh, Chad here and Crooked Stave. Yeah. A, a, a question you've been, been dying to ask him that you haven't that we oh, didn't talk about you're yet. Not, you're not. How do you feel about blending? Do you, do you guys do a lot of blending out there? Uh, I mean, like cuvées and stuff like that. Or absolutely, uh, every single beer that would be uh, aged in oak for the longer period. So Nightmare on Brett is a blend. Origins, Libretto, or any of the the fruited sours. So. Labretta cherry, even that we had, you know, we taste through, we keep a huge backstock of barrels because they take a long time to get right to that place you want to, where you want them to be. And then they change more once you put them in the package. So everything is keeping the backstock and being able to taste and blend. And it's, it's important. There's an art to it because you can't exactly just empty half a barrel. Uh, so you're really tasting through and tasting through the barrels and, that is so important. 
the idea of blending is to, you know, basically when when all the sums together are greater than one. So, you know, no single barrel is the perfect, the perfect flavor, the perfect aroma. When you can put them all together and they're they're better than they were as their sums, that's that's why you blend. Um, you also blend for consistency, for creativity, for different characteristics. So. The blend for Libretta Cherry would be different than the blend for a Libretta Ore because Libretta Ore is not going to get any fruit. So there's a certain characteristic in that that I want to be able to accent. But in Libretta Cherry, I know I'm going to be adding these sour cherries. So maybe I want softer, milder sour beer. Or it's really the way to be able to create. You know, you think of art. Ian, do you have a last blending. question? Uh, <clears throat> I don't have a last question, but I don't think we can end this podcast without hearing Alex's Sour Bro impression. Well, we all, you know, there's a new kind of customer that rolls into the beer bars these days who are, you know, they're, they're, they're bros. You know, they're guys who wear a lot of baseball caps on the weekends and, uh, you know. Maybe, tops? Yeah, they wear maybe a suit and a tie during the work week kind of thing. But, uh, you know, there's, there's like looking for sours. Sours. You, hey, 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 man, what, what kind of sours do you got up there? You got any sours? Yeah, because I only, I only drink uh, other half IPA and sours. So what do you got for sours? Yeah, give me the best sour sour that you got. It's like sauerkraut, like not S O U R, but S A U R kind of thing. Sour. It's sour. Hey man, what you what you got for sours? Guys, got any sours? Actually, to to answer that, I'm pretty sure. Don't you have some brose? Because <laughs> you could, you could get get some brose sour. So you guys at the top end unloading on them, but there, you guys, this is an awesome show. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, one more time, everyone, say their name and where you're from. Chad Jacobson, Denver, Colorado, Crooked Stave. Ian Lundquist, The Well, Brooklyn. Uh, I'm Alex Ali. I'm from Spite and Dival in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. All right, guys, thanks so much for joining me here. Jimmy Carboni on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, thanks to our engineer, David Tattisher, who's going to clean this up, producer Justin K Kennedy, and thank you so much to Haley and the crew of 12% Imports for uh, organizing this event tonight. Uh, and we're at a special episode at The Well at Messroll Street in Brooklyn. Thank you, Ian and Josh and crew, and we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, thanks so much. All right. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.